Pegasus Podcast, presented by Night Sports Now. UCF news, views, and a few hot takes. Now, here are your hosts, Bailey Go Knights Adams and Christian Charge-On Simmons. Welcome into episode 138. Be sure you're following us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at by CA Simmons, and at Night Sports Now. And actually, for the first time, I think maybe ever, we're going to ask something of you guys. We're going to try to um, see if, if you guys will help us out wherever you're listening to this podcast, however you can. Uh, why don't you leave us a five-star review? That'd be kind of nice. Uh, we would really appreciate that. And uh, Christian, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I like that we pitched the idea of asking our listeners to rate our podcast as something really out there that no one's ever thought of doing before. Yeah. Like, I just, it's a pretty standard podcast. We're 138 thing. episodes in now, and I think this might be the first time we've ever said give us a review i think it's literally the first time we've ever asked for reviews and there's really no rhyme or reason to it it was just bailey and i were talking about it a couple weeks ago and i was like do we need to like be more of a grown-up podcast and do things like ask people to review us because that does matter and <laughs> we've just never ever asked for it so yeah if you enjoy our podcast why don't you give us a review unless it's not gonna be five it. stars in which case don't give it a review because we don't need any of that should yeah, i up, only... should i up the ante by stealing something from the andy staple show uh Sure, why not? So He's the Andy Staple Show is the Athletics College Football Podcast, and they did a thing for a while, and I'll just say we'll do it too. If you leave us a five-star review, if you leave a question in the review, we'll answer it on the podcast. So there you go. We're, we're bribing you for five-star reviews. <laughs> like leave the five-star review, um, and if you include a question, then we'll answer the question. Now, only Apple lets you actually like write a review. Spotify, you just can only rate it, but don't worry. I'll enable a question... Uh, we have a Q&A button I can enable on the podcast. I'll do that on Spotify and I'll just trust you that you give a five-star review and I'll answer it too. So there and you go. We'll know, we'll know more or less because you can see, we can see how many reviews we get, we have. That's correct. So, so, and I have all kinds of analytics. So this I'm is trusting a, you guys, but yeah, if you leave us a five-star review, we'll, we'll answer your question. Dangerous proposition. Within reason, like yeah, let's not, course. you know, within reason, but we will answer <laughs> the question. Yeah. Um. So yeah, do that. We are a couple of days late on the podcast. Do that's you, would you bad. like to explain? Yeah, no, that's entirely my bad. I uh, no, no one, I, no um, one should actually care. So, well, yeah, but I feel bad. It's actually funny to think back because this is the first time that we've kind of randomly had to push the podcast. Like in the early days, like when we first started, like early 2021, it was kind of just like we just do it whatever day we could. And then we've been on a schedule for so long. I forgot about those days. But um, I was in New York over the weekend and I was cutting it kind of close with the flight getting back because we usually record on Monday nights, as I'm assuming, you know, if you listen, since you're usually listening to it on Tuesday morning. And right before uh, takeoff, I was on the plane, boarded, um, and the uh, captain, captain, pilot, is it a captain? This is your captain speaking. Yeah, they say that all the time, don't they? The general of the aircraft came on board or came on the mic and said, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to take off. But first, there is an air valve that is not working quite right. And we're going to have maintenance come on and take a look at it. It's going to take about 10 minutes. While they do that, we're going to have to shut off the air in the plane. And so I was like, okay, and uh, that seems fine. Um, I learned two things. One, I learned that airplanes get hot very quickly. And I learned too, that when they say 10 minutes, they mean well over an hour. And uh, that's what happened. And we sat on the tarmac with no heat, sweating like crazy as they tried to get the valve working. And then they got the valve working. But by that point, there was no chance of doing a podcast. And then Bailey couldn't do Tuesday. And here we are on Wednesday. I'm not an avid traveler, so maybe this is a common thing that happens, but this is the second time I've heard of this happening to someone. Like, it happened to you, and it happened to my brother, like, last month or two months ago. Is this a thing that happens all the time? Like, I think air travel's it... really bad right now. Like, yeah. I think it's been getting worse. My favorite part, so naturally, the people who were, you know, put inside of a very hot airplane for a very long time were not happy when it was finally time to take off. People are in a bad mood. And the flight attendant, I swear to God, this is true. The flight attendant gets on the intercom or whatever it is and says, everyone, I just want to remind you that this is one of the oldest planes we have and not all of it works. That's sure to diffuse the situation. And then the captain goes, all right, prepare for takeoff. And I'm like, well, hold on. <laughs> like, like, I just, I can't believe that those were their words of comfort. They're like, well, now hold on, cut us some slack. This is a remarkably old airplane that doesn't work properly. Like that was awesome. This was yeah, JetBlue, by the way. This was not some like <laughs> tiny airline, but whatever. Yeah, wasn't but two days later, the Pegasus podcast is back. Here we are, and so air travel is really bad. You know what else is really bad? Uh, UCF quarterback, quarterback situation—that's <laughs> <laughs> exceedingly harsh. But we're we're here to talk about the UCF quarterback room and the outlook this year and beyond this year, because obviously there's been some changes. Tommy Castellanos transferring out, going to Boston College, where that couple—that feels like forever ago. Maybe like a couple weeks ago, I think. I think it was maybe um, two weeks ago. Yeah, and then UCF this weekend, or no, that was this week, 
gosh, I'm so thrown off with the time. It, it is Wednesday that we're recording this. Uh, they landed former Charlotte quarterback Xavier Williams in the portal. And so they now have a quarterback room of John Rice Plumley, Timmy McLean, Xavier Williams, and Dylan Risk. Yep. And what do you think? Um, I think that once again, I know we talked about this at the time when Tommy first left, or I think it was the second podcast. There was a, there were a lot of UCF fans on social media, at least, who were like acting like they thought that UCF was going to be able to go land someone to like start, like someone who was going to unseat Plumley for the starting job after Tommy left. And I, I really didn't understand that take for two reasons. One, I didn't understand how, I mean, I feel like people need to understand that the spring transfer window is not like the fall transfer window. It's largely, especially a quarterback. It's largely guys who have realized that they are not going to win a job or they've lost a job and they're going somewhere to start. So A, it's guys who aren't, you know, top tier elite quarterbacks. It's guys who were looking for a place where they can play. And two, UCF was not an attractive place for that because John Rice Plumley was a returning starter who Gus Malzahn could not have made more clear if he tried last year that he was always yeah. going to favor. And for better or worse, that's the case. And Honestly, with the exception of one or two guys who were never coming to UCF anyway, there's no one in the portal this spring who I was like, oh, yeah, if they came here, they would be able to give Plumlee a run for his money. But it just it was just a, I don't know why UCF fans were convinced that was an option. But this is pretty much what we said. We talked about that. We thought they'd basically just have to get a body and someone else to have in the room. And that's more or less what Xavier Williams is. He has one college start under his belt. It was at Maryland. He did fine. I mean, I think he's here essentially for the Will, he Will Healy connection. Will Healy was his coach at Charlotte. He's now, I don't know what his title is at UCF. I know it got a bump. He's some sort yeah. of. Is he, is he the assistant head coach now or something like that? No, he's, I don't think he's like a coach. I forget. I forget exactly what his title is. I know he came in basically as an analyst and they've bumped him since then, but either way, I'm sure that's what the connection was. And I think it's a fine get. I, I would have rather UCF did how they, they did this than the other option where they did get a guy who's got multiple years of eligibility and does have good size and, you know, good physical, physical, physical traits and physicality. So that maybe down the road, he can contribute versus just getting someone who has a year left, who's just going to fill the room. So from that perspective, they did fine, but this is a, this is a really thin room, just a really, really, really thin room. Yeah, it is. And I don't really know what the longer term outlook is. And so, yeah, you said, like you said, he comes in, I think he's a red shirt freshman. So he should have up to three years of eligibility left. Um, and yeah, I mean, and to clarify something you said, you said his one career start was at Maryland. Like he, they played at Maryland. It was for Charlotte. He played the game was at Maryland. Oh, uh, I, I didn't think of Yes. No, he, yeah. he's a Charlotte transfer. His one start was against Maryland. I feel like. Yeah. Um, Side note. I just went to Will Healy's Twitter to see if it had his title and his bio on Twitter is number one fan of my beautiful wife and incredible boys. So that doesn't really tell us. I'm glad that he loves his wife and children, but that doesn't really tell us what his title is. That would have been um, more intriguing if it was like number two fan of my family. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. It, it's, it's hard to get a read because I don't really know much about this kid. And I don't know, like, I don't think anyone does. There's no one really can. Um, but it is, it, it's what, it's like what you said, where we, we talked about this when I think we did the emergency podcast about Tommy leaving and it was JRP was going to be the starter no matter what. So who are you going to attract in the portal? That's going to be, like, yeah, I'll, I'm ready to come in and compete to be number two. Yeah. Like, I'm not even sure he comes in and beats out Timmy McLean for the number I don't, two job. I don't know if he Timmy's, does either. Timmy's been here for a year and a spring now. Yeah, right? I mean, the biggest beneficiary of this whole thing is Timmy is because I think by the end of spring ball, as we talked about it, it had become pretty clear that Timmy was not going to get the second string job for whatever reason. It just I, I still don't really understand what's going on there because he did show a lot of potential at usf and it seemed like he just wasn't i mean he barely played in the spring game it sounded like he wasn't getting as many reps with the ones as tommy and obviously jrp were in spring I, I don't know what the issue is there i don't know um but now all of a sudden i i mean if i had to like guess right i actually don't know because xavier william i don't know i don't know which one is going to be second string but it matters a lot that's not just some afterthought to throw off the window because we saw last year like i guarantee you right now 100 if you could gamble on it do it unless you're an athlete because that's apparently a thing now shout out to iowa and iowa state for breaking all kinds of gambling rules but <laughs> if like if i could bet any amount of money on it john rice plumley is going to get hurt this season he is it's the way he plays and there's not like i'm not saying he's going to get catastrophically hurt or anything but we saw it last season he gets banged up he gets worn down he ends up missing time and that's going to happen so one of these guys be it timmy mcclain or xavier williams is going to have to come in and play for UCF this year. It might be in a key moment. They might have to start a game just like Mikey did. I don't, I, I don't know. I, yeah. A few months ago, I would have said I felt comfortable with Timmy doing that, but something's up there, obviously. And I absolutely don't feel comfortable with Xavier Williams doing it. So it's just like, 
I don't know. It's not like this was ever going to be a special season, but you're talking about a season where UCF's range of results feels like it's anywhere from four and eight to eight and four. Like that's the difference between making a bowl and not making a bowl. If JRP goes down and there's just no one you can put out there behind them who can succeed as a quarterback. RJ Harvey Harvey was a former quarterback. He was, and they're going to need him to be a running back this time around. So I don't (laughs) think that's going to work out, but um, Um, for closure on what we were just talking about with Will Healy, this was Brandon Marcello when SJ left to, lead the nil collective he said that currently he was an or currently healy was an analyst and advisor was what he was brought in as and he was promoted to associate head coach to help fill Tui's responsibilities associate head coach okay associate interesting coach, I, I, I guess we talked about when he came on as an analyst i'm a huge will healy fan and i actually think that was a really really sneaky good acquisition to the staff i'm sure he'll only be here for a year before he yeah although who knows i mean someone could leave on the staff and open up a, a position so who knows but yeah he's a really good get um Xavier Williams, I don't know. What's interesting about this quarterback room is it's just funny how quickly things can shift in two years Where from when Gus got here. I mean, so you've got John Rice Plumley, who is a transfer. You've got Xavier Williams, who is a transfer. You've got Timmy McLean, who is a transfer. And then you've got Dylan Rizik, or Dylan Risk, excuse me, who's a true freshman. Like, they've somehow built an entirely transfer quarterback room. And I don't think yeah. that's a good thing. I don't, I don't think that's a good thing, probably. And like, like you say, things change very quickly. So maybe this will change in time. But as of right now, if you you were to ask me, is UCF starting quarterback for the 2024 season on the roster? I would say it's a big no. No way. There could be, I mean, I I don't want to say there's not a chance because it'll come back and be an all-time, like, I don't know, one of these guys turns out to be the starter. There is a very slim chance. Yeah, it is. There's a very slim chance. And I don't, (laughs) I could say it's like not a good thing. Then you also go into the thing and you're like, this means that they're 100% a slam dunk to probably add like to be big players in the transfer market going into next season, I would think. Cause they could say, Hey, you can come in and start because. Yeah. I mean, NIL is going to play a role there. Yeah. Um, and quarterbacks are commanding big, big time NIL dollars. And as we've talked about on past podcasts, UCF's NIL operation is pretty solid. Um, they've got money to play with there and they've been doing a good job of retaining players and bringing some new players in. But I like, I don't think they're going to go be able to get a superstar quarterback or anything. Cause when those guys do hit the portal, they command big dollars. But I do agree with you that this is looking at next year when JRP leaves, regardless of what they do on the field, this is a power five job. Now it's a, it's not a coach, not a job. It's a power five team. Now the, obviously it would be very attractive to be the quarterback here and it would be wide open for a high level transfer. Like a lot of players would know that they could come in and start. So I think UCF will be able to get a guy. I just, I guess my problem is I'm not seeing any path to having an elite quarterback at any point in the foreseeable future. It's not going to be this year, obviously, because they don't have one. I don't see them landing an elite quarterback in the portal in 2024. They already have their quarterback for this recruiting cycle, who's Riley Trujillo, who I think is fine, but not someone who's going to be a Dylan Gabriel or a Mackenzie Milton, I don't think. And it's just kind of like, so suddenly we're talking about what's the earliest that UCF might have a truly great quarterback 2025. I, I like how, how that's just not sustainable in modern college football anymore. You have to have a great quarterback and, I'm not seeing a window for it to happen in the next couple of years, barring something crazy. It's been a weird few years for the quarterback position. Yeah. Just, I don't know. You think back to to them having Mackenzie Milton and everything seeming like it was completely just as good as it could possibly be. And then obviously the injury is an awful thing to happen. And then it's, okay, well, they've got Dylan Gabriel now, true freshman coming in and he's, you know, puts up some some insane numbers over, what was it, a couple of years, I guess. Um, and then he's gone. And then ever since, it's just like, I don't know. I don't know what the future looks like. You I don't actually, know. you can take it even farther back from that, honestly, because before that was Justin Holman, who was fine. What yeah. a conference title. Won a, UCF. Won he, a conference he, title. He was totally fine and serviceable. You didn't have an issue playing him before that was Blake Bortles. One of the best players in school history before that was Jeff Godfrey, who was another great, like, it's like, this is, this actually somehow feels like the most unclear what the future is of that room and what their options are literally in a decade plus like this season, we know they have a JRP, but after that, I have no idea. I guess 2015 maybe was like the one like awkward year in the middle there. Yeah. I mean, Holman still started a lot of that year. He got yeah. hurt and they cycled through some guys, but yeah, I, you know, 2015 was just kind of like, we don't talk about that. That doesn't count yeah. for anything or any stats. Yeah. Um, just a giant. I mean, that is literally the most like mulligan of a college football season I've ever seen. I, that's still like my favorite stat ever that not only that UCF went from 0 and 12 to 13 and 0 in two years, but that they managed to like sandwich New Year's six bowl wins on two years on either side of a winless season. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, just, I don't know what you do. It's it's a weird thing because now it's supposedly not even Gus Malzahn running the offense anymore. It's Darren Henshaw. We'll see what that looks like. We'll see what, you know, how, how any of these 
quarterbacks adapt to that offense. And then we'll see what kind of quarterback they can go out and get who fits that offense. If Henshaw is one that's going to stick around, which I imagine he would be probably, um, um and, you never you know, know at this point, but yeah, but it, it's a weird, weird spot to be and in. Listen, the, the flip side of this is we're, we're maybe being a little too negative because like what we just talked about, about how different things were two years ago is these things can just flip overnight and you never know who UCF can end up landing a guy who ends up being great. I liked Timmy McLean a lot at USF. It could turn out that he's awesome, that he takes yeah. huge strides this summer and he comes in is great. And then next year after JRP is gone, he's ready to take the reins. Xavier Williams does have the size and the physicality traits that you're looking for from a quarterback at this, at this time in college football. So who knows? He's just so dramatically, remarkably unproven. It feels kind of hard to convince myself he could ever be a P5 starter, but we don't know. And we don't, I'm Dylan risk. I Dylan risk was really popping off at the end of his high school career. They obviously like Riley Trujillo. Like we don't know. It's just, for a long time, there's been a plan and it's been a pretty easy to follow plan. And Tommy leaving while on paper, it's just, oh, the backup quarterback left, whatever. It does feel like it's kind of thrown all the assumptions we had about what this room was going to look like over the coming years, just totally kind of out the window. And now it's just anyone's guess. And it sucks because I, and we'll be talking about this a lot more over the summer as we get closer to the season, but I really, UCF, I'm not saying that they're like, you know, I'm not saying they're going to come in and win nine games or anything like that, or even have the potential to, but they have a very favorable schedule and a lot of the roster has come together very well. And I know there are going to be problems. There are going to be things that we don't even know to talk about this summer that three games into the season, it's like, oh, hey, we had no idea that the, that I don't know, the D line is terrible or something like that. And that'll hurt, but it would suck if the way things are trending is what happens where it looks like UCF actually assembled a pretty solid roster here with a pretty favorable damn schedule. And then a JRP already is just fine. And B he gets hurt. And then suddenly this, what could have been a pretty stunning first season just kind of falls apart because they don't have an answer at quarterback. And then that issue plagues them in 2024 as well. I, that, that's the nightmare scenario that would just really suck. Yeah, no, that's the big thing is the injury injury. I mean, as much as we talk about JRP, like if they, if, if somehow I, I just <laughs> I don't see it happening, but if he stayed healthy for the entire year, didn't have to miss any games or significant chunks of games. I'd, I'd feel pretty decent about, about everything. I think he yeah. can, he can get the job done to an extent. Um, you know, obviously a, a high what's, I don't know how to, I never know how to say this. He has a high ceiling. It's just his floor that concerns me because we saw some of it last year. He has um, a very high ceiling and a remarkably low floor. And uh, you never know which end of that spectrum the, he's going to be on, even like in the midst of a game. So that's kind of, <laughs> Yeah, where he's at. So, I, I um, one more thing I wanted to say on the quarterbacks, um, you know, just don't remember what it was. I'm ooh, I'm trying to pull I'm trying I to pull up the out, I'm say. trying to pull up the outline right now while I was talking, and I completely yeah. lost my train of thought. Well, I have one that. more thing to say, and it's just kind of a probably a better way to phrase what I just said. Maybe is that this whole Tommy transferring and bringing in Xavier Williams, it doesn't change my thoughts on the quarterback room all that much you know, as in, in terms of if there's no injuries, but if there's an injury, obviously that's the big 100%. concern as we just talked about. It's for me, it's just the outlook for the future, which I'm, it's very, very uncertain and very confusing. Cause you, you, like you said, it's hard to see what the plan is. If there is a plan. Yeah. I don't know. I, there might not be. Sometimes you just got to wing it. And <laughs> I actually remembered what I was going to say. It was, it was about the coaching staff. Cause I know some people are super down on Gus for the way the quarterback room is shaped up and which is understandable because of the way things went at Auburn. And also because like, I've literally fanned those flames. I've said, you know, look at all the good quarterbacks who have left since he got here. And I get that, but I also do want to throw in the caveat as well that like this whole thing of, Oh, wow. Like the problem of just, Oh, Hey, this is not good. We suddenly have no depth in our QB room. That is a national problem right now because with the transfer portal, so many schools are seeing that happen where they have two guys they feel really good about and the second guy's out of there. And that it's just UCF interestingly had that happen twice in the same offseason with both Mikey Keene leaving and then Tommy leaving as well. So it quarterback depth is just not really a thing anymore. And that's why I I got frustrated by how badly UCF handled the situation last year because I felt they were in a pretty unique spot being one of the few teams that had two true starting options and they've managed to fumble it. So that you know, it, the the place they're in now, a lot of teams are in that space. Yeah, and two things like, the, so an outlier to that is, it's one of the things where it reminds me of last year when um, Dave Aranda was the outlier in terms of telling uh, Bohannon that he wasn't going to start and to find him before the, the portal deadline passed. There's an outlier this year in terms of that where LSU's quarterback situation, they have Jaden Daniels and they have Garrett Nussmeyer, who like they've been kind of grooming as like the next quarterback. They have Daniels for one more year and Nussmeyer could have transferred probably. And he was like, no, I'm going to stay. That doesn't, that's not been happening everywhere. Like we saw, and it's the thing is like, 
you couldn't have asked Mikey to do that because they clearly didn't have any plans for Mikey in the future. I, well, I still that, that's wonder... why it's a different situation is Mikey knew he yeah. would never have a future here. And but he'd also that's... proven he could start at the FBS level. So that's he... why I'm so confused about how the Tommy thing was handled. Well, think about because how interesting the parallels are. I, well, we don't know. That's the great, huh. it's the great mystery of our time is why did Tommy Castellanos <laughs> transfer from UCF? But there are some parallels to me almost. I mean, it's a different situation, but between Tommy and Timmy McLean, because I'm obviously very happy that UCF got him and it was a nice sort of middle finger to USF to land him. But at the end of the day, did it make sense for Timmy McLean to transfer? No, it didn't. And he would have ended up starting last season because Bohannon got hurt. And instead, he might be as bad as third string on his new team. Like I just, we're in an era now where quarterbacks are very, very fast to move on. And I think it might slow down a little bit in the coming years because the NCAA is cracking down on multiple transfers now. Like mm -hmm. these last couple of years, players have been comfortable transferring three times, even four times, just keep moving around. And the NCAA is really trying to limit it to you get one free transfer and that's it. So maybe we'll see it slow down a little bit. Quarterbacks are really quick to move on. And it really, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just speculating at this point because we just don't know the answer. But for Tommy, it just could have been as simple as he convinced himself he had a shot at winning the job this year. When he realized that wasn't the case, he said, screw this. I'm going somewhere I can start. He ended up at Boston College where it's still not clear if he can start. But I, you know, it's just, I, I feel like at some point we have to take a step back and be like, the, these are decisions that are, you know, being made by 18 and 19 year olds. And, you know, sometimes they don't have the best people influencing them. I remember what I was like as an 18 and 19 year old. I was kind of <laughs> stupid. Um, so I just think that sometimes there are just going to be these sort of head scratching decisions that there isn't always an obvious analytical reason it happened. It's just, well, you know, they made that choice. Well, to, I mean, we've already talked about this for way longer than I thought we would, but I still, I keep, every time you say something, I have two things to say in response and they're, they're completely different conversations. You're like the but... Greek thing, the snakes. <laughs> what is that? You know what I don't I'm talking know. About? No. You know what I'm talking about? The like, uh, is maybe, it but the way you just described else? it was awful. What? It's the, it's the thing where it's like every time it's like an eel or a snake. I'm not sure that like you cut off one of the heads and two more heads grow. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, vaguely. Um, someone anyway. who like is a, is a student of Greek mythology knows what I'm talking about right They're now. Screaming at their phones right their now. Minds. Yeah. But anyway, um, go ahead with your two thoughts. So the, I'm talking to remember both of them. Um, oh no, the, the reason I say that with, with the Tommy thing is he did seem intent on if i don't start he said in the press conference if i don't start this year i'll start next year and then there was like oh it was something said in like his exit interview and if if that was what happened and there, he kind of didn't he kind of like a tweet or something kind of insinuate that he did that something did was he liked said. several tweets that imply yeah. that something happened so that if day. that's the case what did they say to him that indicated that he was not in their future plans and what was their other plan that like made that drove him away because it doesn't seem like they have but a plan again i'm speculating here's what we're gonna do we're gonna dm tommy and say tommy please come on the pegasus podcast and clear the air about why you left ucf um I, it could literally have been as simple as he was looking for assurances about next year and they weren't willing yeah. to give them which i think is fair on that staff's part although i think that you know it's sometimes okay to stretch the truth a little and say sure um it, it's the hydra by the way in greek mythology oh it's like a, okay. I'm looking at yeah, a, yeah. I'm looking at a very it's like a dragon looking thing and if you cut off one head two heads grow so okay and then the last thing I said to, to answer your <laughs> did it make sense for Timmy to transfer from USF I don't know I, I don't know what his outlook is we'll see maybe I guess if he ends up having to step in for JRP this year or if he plays next year we'll see if that really paid off but given how things have gone for him so far here at UCF I don't know if they would have gone much better at USF. Yeah, maybe he would have played last year, but Byron Brown, their their quarterback now, is like electric. He, so, is he electric? He's about how he felt about Timmy a year and a half ago. I, I just he know, was just, I thought you, I just think the he was, one who was there. I, I mean, he was better. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. We'll see. I, I, I mean, I don't know. But he was do, flashier last year than Timmy was his freshman that, year. I don't think that Byron Brown would have ever gotten on the field if Timmy had stayed at USF. And that's part of what yeah. people don't understand about quarterbacks. <laughs> this is what we're talking about. Now. <laughs> now we're bringing down USF's quarterback room. I, I, I feel like that's something people don't understand about quarterbacks. And it's why I get frustrated. I was so frustrated last year and people kept being like, you have to trust in the staff. The staff knows what they are doing. It's like, guys, people get this wrong all the time. Like Max Duggan was a Heisman finalist who led TCU to the national championship game out of nowhere. And he did not win the job out of fall camp. Like it's just, it's really hard to tell from practice what you have with quarterbacks. And it could be a situation where whether it's Xavier Williams or Timmy McLean, one of them gets on the field this year after JRP gets hurt. And it's like, oh, okay, they've got it. They're good. You know, like that could happen. Yeah. That has happened often in college football. Or they could get out there and it's like, you know what? That this was a mistake. He should not be on the field. I, we, we just don't know. We just don't know.
Yeah, and we can move on to our next topic, which I'm realizing now folds in really, really well with this first topic. I don't know why I didn't realize that before, but we're just talking more about why the do you wider... think the person who planned the podcast planned it that way? Smart. You're yeah. you're people people might say, or you might say that at 18, 19 years old, you were you were kind of stupid, but you're pretty smart these days. Yeah, uh, at least Bailey knew this. Bailey knew me when I was nineteen, and he can confirm I was pretty stupid. Yeah. I mean, I think we all were. Um, oh, we were very dumb. We had the stupid idea to found a website covering UCF sports, and man, <laughs> it's been a journey. It's been awesome. Um, but the UCF and the transfer portal in a wider sense. Um, talking about how has the transfer portal era been a net gain or a net loss for UCF? And I think the very simple answer is like it's somewhere right in the middle. Because so I feel like I should without like this topic originated because bailey texted me a a few days ago because we were talking about a ucf player who there was smoke that they may or may not leave this was like from a while ago and yeah and you were like not to be a boomer i think was your terminology (laughs) but you were like i think i hate the transfer portal (laughs) and i thought it was interesting because i i was very very in favor of the transfer portal when they were discussing originally putting it in motion and free transfers and i still am absolutely in favor of it because there are certain things and i felt the same way with nil where it's messy and there are parts of it i don't like but at the end of the day it's just the right thing to do like you cannot restrict players this way and just say that's fine and but it's definitely been a lot more of a headache and a lot more of a struggle than i initially thought and i think the biggest psychological aspect of it for me and i feel like you feel the same way is I really hate, and the windows have helped, but I really hate that basically from the moment the season ends through like May, I am just like, I have no, like UCF's best player could get poached tomorrow. Like just absolutely have no idea. That's the, that's the clarifying point that I want to make is that I did text you. I may, I might hate this version of college football. Am I a boomer? And I said that in reference to just sitting, you're, you're just sitting there and you know, you have one of your players who isn't even really thinking about transferring, but then a team kind of just says, Hey give you all this money and how i can't fault the player for sake for taking the money i just hate that it's like a team can just grab a player who had no intention of leaving and just say here's a lot of money come come with us and what it's i said just, to it's you a which, fear thing and what i said it is a fear thing and what i said to you which you know i i don't run college football so i can't make it happen but i said like the balancing act to me is i think they need to get to the point where there's some sort of time limit or like contracts involved because basically what hap- what's happening in college football it gets now so is messy that- though <laughs> Every, <laughs> it gets even messier, but I maybe some maybe the only way to clean up the mess is to make a bigger mess on top of it because uh, you look at why wow, that was profound because you so look college at football has probably been doing for decades. That was it, right? From the first time that two Ivy League schools played a weird version of rugby in a field in the 1880s to now, it's just been like cleaning up a mess with a bigger mess and a bigger mess, and maybe there's a blowtorch involved now, and it's just crazy. But <clears throat> um, you my issue with where things are at now is is every single player in college football every single player from the top of the roster to the bottom of the roster is essentially a free agent every second of every day and that's why it feels so much more chaotic than because pro leagues obviously players move around all the time and and it feels so much more chaotic in college football because there's no it's not like this comes in waves every player can leave whenever they want and (laughs) it's getting stressful and i think coaches hate it too because it's just it's it's been difficult to manage a roster when you just have really no idea what your roster is going to look like. And I'm not trying to paint this as, Oh, the poor coaches. It's so sad that they have to manage their teams because at the same time, they have used the portal to their advantage in ways that no one would have thought of, but in pretty dark ways, as in telling players to get lost to free up roster spots for transfers. UCF's done that recently. Plenty of schools have done that. I, I, so it's just, I just feel like it's frustrating. And I'm also trying to figure out, and I guess we're going to talk about it here. At the end of the day, we've talked about UCF as being a portal destination. Have they benefited enough? Because it's like we talk so much about the players. They lose the players they bring in. What is the balance there? Like, has UCF actually net had a net gain on this? You know what I mean? Yeah, and I I think what you just said was actually really interesting in terms of how coaches have to manage things. That's why we've seen Gus Malzahn have to adopt this CEO role and not call the offense anymore and kind of embrace that. And he can say probably all he wants, like, this is just like, this is how college football is going and like. I don't know that he likes it, but this is he's at least one of those coaches who's seeing that and saying, like, this is how it has to be. It doesn't matter if I like it or not. But like it really is changing the way he's had to live his entire life as a football coach, because all this time before it's he can focus on the on the field stuff constantly do the recruiting. Obviously, he's a big part in recruiting. But now it's really like he has to be very involved with the NIL side of things. No, they're not really supposed to be like directly involved, but everyone knows they are. 
Yeah, and not directly involved unless Gus is putting up a post about how he's going to teach his NIL collectives had some golf lessons. So I don't yeah. know. I don't know where that falls on the yeah um, end of the spectrum. But I, I mean, and it's I, this is a little away from UCF, but I, I was thinking about this earlier, so I want to throw the thought out there. This is I feel like this is going to really dramatically change how coaches are hired because we talk about what Gus Malzahn's role is now, and you know he's basically the general manager of the team. His job is to maintain relationships with the players, sort of keep his finger on the heartbeat of the locker room and how players are trending, how they're progressing. His job is to fundraise. His job is to recruit both in the portal and maybe even players who are on other rosters right now and both high school players and manage what the roster will look like and what scholarships look like and manage the culture. And none of that is X's and O's. None of that is game planning. And, you know, the typical, like, why does anyone get hired as a head coach? It's, oh, well, he's a really innovative, great young offensive coordinator. He, you know, calls great plays. He has a really fun offense. But that's not even the description anymore for being a head coach. So I wonder how schools are going to nail down who head coaching candidates are in the future, because it, it feels like someone who's a hotshot OC who calls this really innovative offense, they might not be the best candidate to be a head coach because they're going to stop doing that once they become a head coach. We just talked about USF's quarterback room for five minutes. and We really shouldn't have. But this makes me want to bring up something else from a different program that has really no tie to UCF it just ties in this conversation but you look at Dabo Sweeney like he hates all this NIL stuff I'm really curious to watch Clemson over the next few years and see what happens with him because I imagine Clemson on the administration side of things probably realizes hey we have to do this to keep up but I think he personally hates it and I don't know he hasn't been very quick to embrace it yeah so I'm curious to see if Dabo Sweeney like this like great football coach like one of the best in the country all this stuff how much longer he, whether one, he like sticks around with it and wants to even be a part of it or two, they like, okay, well, our coach isn't embracing this. We've got to get rid of them. And then I don't know. I'm just curious to see how that plays out. And and we'll see, I guess, both in terms of the on-field success and also the, just the off-field power struggle kind of thing, if that is something that happens. But like, I think that just kind of ties into the whole point of it's a different job now when you're a coach. Yeah. I, and Clemson's, I mean, like I said, we're not a, we're a UCF podcast. So we'll get back to UCF <laughs> in a second, but Clemson, I feel the same way just as a super college football fan. Clemson's really interesting to me because they don't take transfers. I think they've taken like one or something crazy like that. They still do the old school. They'll drop a player if he visits someone else, if he's committed to them. It's like, they're acting like it's the 1980s when schools had, were all powerful and, and, you know, had complete control over student athletes. And that's not the case anymore at all. Yeah, And I don't know. And they're trending the wrong way. They're still winning double digit games, but they've gone from playoff every year to, you know, just not that at all. So, but anyway, all that aside, back to UCF. It's interesting because you look at like when we were talking about this, I was like, I'm just looking at UCF's roster. I'm scrolling down and it's like, I have to, I feel like I have to fall in the camp of the portal has been a net win for them because when they announced they were going to the power five, they've really used the portal to dramatically attempt to upgrade the talent and depth of their roster. And I don't think they would have been capable of doing that than the pre-portal era. It would have just taken a lot longer if I'm understanding what you just said correctly, because I kind of zoned out for a second. That happens. Uh, um, you know, I, I, I'm on Twitter but, when you talk, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but it would have just taken longer because the effect of, hey, we're a Power 5 team now, that would have been, a rec- it still is a recruiting focus, but you would have started to see the recruiting classes be built up and built up and it would have taken a little bit longer. But now you can say, hey, transfer who wants to come play high-level football, we're in the Power Five, and they can come in and start this year. Like and That's, that's where like, it's a more immediate effect. Yeah, and I feel like we haven't even processed how much the roster has turned over to transfers. Like, Let's just go down, look at the different rooms. <laughs> Quarterback, John Rice Plumley came from Ole Miss. Timmy McLean came from USF. Isaiah Williams came from Charlotte. The running backs. Xavier RJ, Williams. What did I say? Isaiah. It's Xavier, excuse me. I'm sorry. Xavier Williams. We will um, talk about an Isaiah later. Will we? Who? Yeah. Oh, the linebacker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I haven't even, I haven't even gotten into that yet. So you can educate me on that. Um, running backs, RJ Harvey's from Virginia. Demarcus Bowman is from Florida. Johnny Richardson's really the only major contributor there who's from UCF wide receivers. Javon Baker's from Alabama. Kobe Hudson is from Auburn. Chauncey Magwood is from Kentucky. Trent Whitmore is from Florida. Four, I, four SEC wide receivers. Just four SEC wide receivers. And then also Xavier Townsend tight end for whatever reason, the tight ends are all actual recruits. Um, O-line, <laughs> Tylen Grable's from Jacksonville State. Marcellus Marshall is from Kent State. Amari Kite is from Alabama. Drake Metcalf might be the center. He's from Stanford. Bula Schmidt might be the center. He's from Fresno State. Look at the D-line. Ricky Barber's from Western Kentucky. Lee Hunter's from Auburn. KD McDaniel's from Kentucky. Linebackers, Jason Johnson, Eastern Illinois. Ryan Davis, Georgia. Isaiah Paul, Washington State. Did I get that right? Yep. 
I just Kinda. pulled that. I, wait, what did I get wrong? No, he didn't get anything wrong. He did come from Washington State, but he never he was at Washington State for like two months. He came from Washington State, like how Brandon Jennings came from Kansas State. Um, exactly. <laughs> Jaira Wilson from East Carolina. Jordan Mass from Texas State. DeCorian Patterson from Middle Tennessee. Jarvis Ware's from Missouri. Fred Davis is from Clemson. The entire freaking roster is transfers. And it's like funny because since that's happened over a couple years, like it's not like they got all those transfers in the last month. I feel like I didn't even notice it. And then I'm looking at this roster and I'm like, they couldn't have even remotely constructed a team that would be able to compete in the Big 12 right now if they'd had to rely solely on high school recruiting. Because the big high school recruits they've gotten who are going to make a difference right away, they would have gotten those either way. The difference is that the 10 plus spots each year that are going to transfers would have gone to filling out the recruiting class with three stars who probably aren't going to make a big difference. Like and the only it, it's made a huge difference in upgrading for the power level, for the power yeah. five conference level. Yeah, the only flip side of that is the players they lost, obviously. Like, oh, whatever. Up, some of those like you have Devonte brown you have matt lee you have Dylan two Gabriel. linebackers and tatum Bethune. oh no with tatum Bethune graduate he has one more year i think yeah tatum Bethune and, and jeremiah and Jeremy Jeremy both still been here dylan gabriel yeah. would have presumably still been here and that <laughs> yeah. is the flip side right i guess i don't know that that's a really i think what i want to do and i would that have roster compete at a, at a higher level than this current <laughs> just because of dylan gabriel yes He's, I mean, I, it, you know, I know yeah. that we can, oh, we want to trash him because he left. He's a phenomenal quarterback, but I don't know the, the rest. I mean, other guys they've lost. I don't like it's Matt Lee was a huge loss, obviously, but like the vibe seemed to be that like, I don't think UCF really cared that Ryan O'Keefe left or that Jeremiah G. Mepsi, like it, those felt like guys who it was just more, we talked about this at the time when that happened too, that it's like it, it, Tommy Castellanos in a way was pretty significant because he was really the first transfer that was someone this staff had recruited and had a relationship with and wanted to be here. Like all of the post 2022, the, po the fall transfers, Ryan O'Keefe, Jeremiah Jean Baptiste, Devonte Brown, even Matt Lee a little later, those were guys who were not brought in by the staff and that, that played a role there. But yeah, I don't know. Like, that's why I'm curious what, what the answer is, because I do think that it's a weird thing to say, because it's decimated a lot of other teams, but I feel like UCF weirdly has more depth than they would have had if the transfer era had not been upon them. Cause they've added yeah. so many guys and those guys would have been replaced by very young lower level three stars if they couldn't add them but at the top they have lost guys who are obviously very good i'm still upset tatum Bethune's not here i'm never going to get over that one <laughs> yeah no it's it's tough it's, it's it is it's one of a balancing act because you say you know they've built this entire roster and that's part of it part of it's been out of necessity because of the guys they've also lost to the portal and that's why when we started talking about this i was like it probably falls somewhere in the middle of there are, and, and that's that's why i had to clarify too that the whole am i a boomer for thinking this is like Overall, the portal is a good thing. Like it's, it just is, and it protects from those those situations. Like I think you mentioned earlier, where the coach recruits recruits that recruits you can leave whenever he wants. And in the past, you couldn't leave, and you were just stuck at the school. Maybe you didn't want to be at if if uh, not for that coach. And, and it kind of protects against that kind of stuff. And there are all there are all a bunch of reasons that it's a good thing. It's just that that one little thing of like. I have to sit here and worry about some big money program coming in and plucking one of my favorite players or one of the UCS better players off the roster when otherwise it wasn't a threat. That's where I'm like, maybe I hate this a little bit. So but here's one way to look at it. I very quickly... nuanced. I can take a nuanced view to things sometimes. You can. That was very nuanced. Well done. Um, I very quickly tried to assemble a very not complete list of guys that UCF lost to the portal this cycle and guys they brought in so we can compare. And I'm not including guys who like I like the Quan Lee's and KT Thompson's who weren't going to contribute. Like I'm not, you know, I'm just talking about guys who would have started or played large roles if they stayed here versus guys they brought in. So the big transfers they lost were Matt Lee, Ryan O'Keefe, Devontae Brown, Jeremiah Jean Baptiste, Mikey Keene, and Tommy Castellanos. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the transfers they've brought in, who to varying levels are supposed to have large roles, is Amari Kite, Jaira Wilson, DeCorian Patterson, Chauncey Magwood, Drake Metcalf, Marcellus Marshall. Trent Whitmore, Fred Davis, uh, I forgot his name now, the Georgia linebacker. Ryan Davis. Ryan Davis, and now Xavier Williams. So I don't know. When you look at it like that, it's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. It's it is. It it's still feels very 50-50, you know? Yeah. I can't I can't come up with an answer. I think it's really legitimately right up the middle where there are guys where you you would have liked to not lose them, and then there are other guys where it's like, well, we wouldn't have had this guy if if not for this. So, well, it is, you it's... look at the initial list of like the guys who left. The only one I really wish was still here, other than Mikey Keen, of course, is um Matt Lee. Yeah, Devontae yeah. Brown disappointed last year, and you know he you know he I think was... I'd still rather have him than not. 
But I I know I would rather have him than not, but if you had to give up some of the guys they brought in to get him back, would you? I guess you probably still would because DB might be an issue, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I definitely don't. Coaches might might take that trade. This might be like one of my hotter takes, but like if you told me right now that I have to give up uh, Chauncey Magwood and Trent Whitmore, and did they bring in a third one? I feel like I'm forgetting a wide receiver. They were supposed to. Yeah, I don't know. Well, if I had to give up the wide receivers they brought in to get Ryan O'Keefe back, I don't think I would. You've always been a Ryan O'Keefe hater. That's one. Of, okay, for our newer <laughs> listeners, that was one of my original hot takes on this podcast. Was I just never thought Ryan O'Keefe was that good, even though the fan base was. You've always been. You've always been like so diplomatic about it, but like there's, you've always find a way to bring up that take, and I'm like, man, he really doesn't. I don't like, mean to. That dated all the way Ryan back to to pre 2021. That was like literally when we first started the podcast. That was one of the things I'd say that would rile people up, and I wasn't saying it to rile people up. I just never thought he like he's good. I'm doing it again. I'm having to get all diplomatic, but like he's obviously good. He's good enough to start, but I felt like people were like just. Because UCF went through. Now you're just if you're if you listened in spring of 2021, you've heard this a billion times. But I felt like UCF went through this long era of having elite wide receivers. Of they had guys like Traquan Smith and then Gabe Davis and Marlon Williams and Trey Nixon, and everyone was just like, "Well, Rhino keeps the last man standing, so he's going to be the next one." And I just never got the vibe from him that he was that. And I feel like I was sort of proven right over. Time. You really, you really ramped up the take two after the 2021 season, like after, cause he was like the one like lone bright spot pretty much for that offense for most of the year. And so then going into 2022, you were like, I think that was just like, they were just, <laughs> like he wasn't that good last year. It was just, he was like the only one that was like kind of good. Was I wrong? So, was I wrong? They brought in a I, guy who it's like ninth on Alabama's wide receiver depth chart. And he was immediately better than him. It just depends on the, it's all about the usage because last year there was the same thing where they were like, we'll just, we're going to use him in this way and this way only. They couldn't throw the ball down the field. I don't okay. Know. Let's talk about usage for a second because this had just became the Rhino keeps slander podcast, but let's talk for about you. usage for a second because you're saying that, oh, well they used him the wrong way. I'm not saying that I disagree because I think a lot of players were used in intriguing ways in the first <laughs> three years under Gus Walsh. are so diplomatic. Issue, but my issue is that the only time that Ryan O'Keefe looked awesome at UCF was when his job was to run in a straight line down the field and catch a ball from Dylan Gabriel. I think there are a lot of wide receivers in college football who can look elite when their only job is to run in a straight line down the field and catch a ball from Dylan Gabriel. Okay. That's that's probably fair, but then they didn't use him that way because they had no one to throw him the ball down the field. And that's not his fault, but that also that's doesn't make it, but it doesn't make him good. Like that doesn't make him great. It just means that he was another misused player on UCF's roster. I don't know. Which I also uh, didn't hate the way they used him as much as you did. I just didn't think he was as nat. It just felt like he was the closest thing they had to that role of what they were looking for. Is their kind of like Otis Anderson style gadget guy, and he just that role sort of fell on him. And I always felt like Townsend was a lot more built for that. And I'll be curious. If well, he, I feel like well, actually, I guess that role did, just doesn't exist anymore because Gus doesn't call the offense now. They did think that that was his role, and that that he was only shoehorned into that role. He could he could do nothing else. That's what bothered me because I think he could have if they had tried to use him in other ways. I think uh, which I like, love you know, that, let, let's not downplay here. the hell out of him either. Like he played a huge role in them beating Florida, and he's obviously yeah, good. Exactly. I just it, it's just he's not even remotely. I'm not downplaying anything. You're the one who's downplaying. I'm like, now hold on, Bailey. Like, why don't you relax? But when you compare it, like, he doesn't compare to Marlon Williams or Gabe Davis or Traquan Smith or no, Trey I don't Nixon think so either. Guys. He just no. doesn't. And that's fine. Not a lot of quarter, or quarterbacks, not a lot of wide receivers do. That's why those guys were special. But it just, I, I got a little bothered that it felt like people were just assuming that. And I feel like we're way past that now. But there was a time where UCF fans just assumed whoever was wide receiver one for UCF was like a big freaking deal. And I did not ever get that vibe from Ryan O'Keefe. I get, funny, but... J- I get it from I get it from Baker. I just don't Jay- know if he's well, Javon Baker's have a an NFL wide role. receiver. Yeah. He's an NFL wide receiver who may never get to the NFL because, you know, because I feel like he just will, you know? Like, I don't know. Um, what's funny about the last five minutes of this podcast is like since Ryan O'Keefe left, and like it's been it's been several months now. I feel like not many people probably have thought about Ryan O'Keefe. And we just spent five minutes debating Ryan O'Keefe. Like I don't like, know oh, why yeah. we this people was actually like, oh, yeah, very Ryan dumb. O'Keefe. <laughs> Ryan O'Keefe like the last time they probably thought of him maybe was probably when Tommy transferred to Boston College like oh now he's with Ryan O'Keefe again but it wasn't like let's talk about Ryan O'Keefe's legacy at UCF like we, 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 I think we probably did that when he transferred so we still have a lot of pods to fill between now and and the season starts we should do a podcast where we just go back and like bring up all of our takes that people got pissed at over the years and just and and decide if we were right or not because there have been more than a few and I th- I'm calling myself right on Ryan O'Keefe. <laughs> we shouldn't do that podcast because that entire podcast is going to be you bringing up takes that you had and you'd be like, now here's why I was right. And <laughs> now I've been wrong here. about a lot of things though. Like I've said, I've said things that have not come true. 
Like when yeah. I thought Terrence Lewis was going to end up as like one of the greatest defensive players in UCF history. I mean, they're not all wins, guys, but oh, you know. gosh. Yeah. All right. Well, that was <laughs> we just covered entirely too much, I think, in this podcast. Yeah, we did. But we'll jump into the little football news that we have. Uh, the first thing from last week was that Josh Seliscar is was named one of 42 candidates on the 2023 Lot Impact Trophy watch list. Uh, award goes to the defensive player who has the biggest impact on his team on and off the field. Um, more transfer news because we can't say the word transfer enough on this episode. Um, UCF landed incarnate word linebacker Isaiah Paul, or otherwise known as Washington State linebacker Isaiah Paul. Uh, I was going to say otherwise known as Brandon Jennings 2.0, but we can go with that. Whichever too. you feel, but they got him in the transfer portal. He committed on Wednesday. Cool. Um, a little bit of what Jason Beatty and the Orlando Sentinel wrote about him. Uh, it's, as it turns out, Paul only spent a few months at Washington State. Texas native logged five years at Incarnate Ward Ward, ugh, Word before transferring to the Pac-12 uh, Washington State. He's a redshirt senior. He arrived in Washington um, in early January, announced in March that he would be re-entering the transfer portal. Something I read earlier um, from a Washington State writer when he had announced in March, which is, I think, probably before spring ball even happened. Um, he announced he was, he was transferring from them in March? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. He, he announced that he was re-entering the portal. And so I, what what the write-up had said about him at the time was that he was expected to contribute. No, expected to con- compete is the word. Expected to compete for a significant playing time at linebacker with some other transfers mm-hmm. they had in there. I don't know if he looked at the room and said, maybe not. Or maybe he was, I don't know, a Texas kid in Washington and was like, eh. Whatever the reason, I, whatever I'm not the reason optimistic. he's now at UCF. I'm not optimistic. And that really has nothing to do with him and just more. I, I just feel like we've done this dance with Brandon Jennings where player is skipping, you know, goes shows up to one school for spring ball and then is out of there pretty quickly and on to the next. And I don't know. I just, once That's, guys are bouncing around that much, I just have a hard time believing they're going to come in and be contributors. I could be wrong and I hope I am. I've been wrong about this stuff before, but. That's the worry. But then the, the hope I think is that he's more jason johnson he's more like walter yates and he can come in and contribute as jason johnson obviously not depth he's a starter but walter yates provides him solid depth or provides him solid depth and maybe you know he's a three-year starter at incarnate word um looking a little bit more here um trying to see some of his stats there's a lot of numbers here played in all 13 games in 2021 he had 42 tackles six and a half tackles for loss two sacks nothing like eye-popping but for what they need, like they they have Ryan Davis and Jason Johnson presumably as their starters, and then they have Paul Walter Yates and then some freshmen and Cam Moore as backups. I feel a little bit better. They have another body in there at the very least, but I think he can potentially contribute as depth and feel a little bit better. Yeah. So, um. Still would have liked. Why, to get why don't Why don't you say game. Why don't you say what the next piece of news is real quick. Uh, FAMU defensive line transfer Kamari Stevens was supposed to visit UCF this weekend. Now I'm worried that he's not. Because Funny you say that because he just tweeted this weekend is back available for a campus visit. Oh my god! And goodness. deleted his tweet about visiting UCF. Well, that's cancels the next minute of what I was going to talk about because we were I very wanted, excited. I about wanted, him. Yeah. yeah, I wanted this player because anyone who has a double digit sack season, I'm like, sign him up, <laughs> bring him in. Wow. Um. So that Dan sucks. Wilkin, Dan Wilkin has a tweet here from an hour ago. Do you see this? I did. Um, yeah. So this is just caught up with Gus Malzahn in Atlanta before UCF donor slash alum event was fascinated to learn that one of their big donors is the founder of first watch, which is putting his precious breakfast loyalty to waffle houses in some conf- in some conflict, my opinion, both great options. So I wonder, Ooh, yeah, I, I mean, forgot they're in Atlanta tonight. <sighs> they are in Atlanta. Well, they're sort of in Atlanta. Did you see like where it actually is? No, it's like it? Atlanta adjacent. <laughs> it's not really is in it like Atlanta. Cobb County. Um, should I go on a little mini rant really quickly about, uh, sure. Why not? Okay. What the hell with UCF just basically not doing the charge on tour at all. We haven't really talked about this on the podcast, so they're not even calling it the charge on tour. I don't think at this point, No, it's called something else. So you, you guys know, if you're listening, you've probably been to it. Bailey and I would go to it each year and we do a podcast off of it. They, they would do it. Their, their charge on tour around Florida. They do stops in Oviedo and Tampa and the space coast and stuff like that. And this year they're doing New York. And Atlanta, you know, to UCF fan hotbeds instead of Florida. And then on top of that, because I, I know that like I, you know, I know that the kingdom announced some events. That's not really anything like it's not the charge on tour or anything like that. I just I don't understand why those events were really fun. And I feel like UCF's kind of big timing their own fan base by being like, oh, we're power five now. So screw you. We're going to New York and Atlanta. That just is really yeah. lame to me. I I'm glad we didn't have this like 
little mini rant earlier because I thought like I was like, all right, well, we'll wait. Maybe they'll announce some like other other stuff, but they haven't. And it's the, the, the normally as of right now, like the charge on tour around Florida would have begun like probably tonight or like this. No, week it's just not it's, happening. It's, yeah, it's, it's not a thing. And they have tonight they have May 10th in Atlanta. They have May 24th in New York City and they have a downtown Orlando uh, event in August, which is like. I've n- I don't know. I've never understood yeah. why. And then they... people, I know people were holding out hope that the kingdom was going to, and the kingdom announced like they do have an event slate, but it's just, none of it is that like, I just, I, it's just a bunch of other stuff. I don't, I don't get why they ditched that. I, I I thought that was really cool. And I, like I said, I think continuing it in some form, but out of state is just pretty lame to me, but whatever. That's my, that's my, I'll get off my rant now, but just a thought. That's fair. Completely fair. And I understand. Can we like, blame whole... Terry Mahajra for that? Is that, Probably. is that something we can probably and it's i know probably, that fa- i know that fans really like to blame terry mahadra for things so it, i mean i understand probably the thinking behind it but i don't know why you can't incorporate local stops too let me go before i totally trash it let me look at what the all right so the kingdom's events are we're gonna make this podcast really long guys on may 10th they're in atlanta i okay they're just there with the team i guess uh <laughs> may 17th they're, do, they're doing kingdom night at orlando city all right 24th they're in new york with, uh, with the other one thing um <laughs> it's 22nd but they ended it with rd instead of nd which is kind of funny june 20 20 tour 20 tour yeah there you go uh they're having a ucf men's basketball draft watch party in orlando that's interesting still not the charge on tour uh they're doing a tampa's hometown team two event that's probably the closest to the charge on tour yeah then they're doing a thing in dallas for some damn reason uh <laughs> then they're doing a golf tournament at the four seasons resort i'm sure that will be open to many people um <laughs> Yeah, they're just not. I, I I don't know. I thought those I were question. so fun, and they'd get really good crowds for those. I don't know why they killed that. What is a custom helmet bar? I don't know. I stopped reading there because I didn't know what that was. That was <laughs> seriously why I stopped. On July 28th, guys, the kingdom is going to have a custom helmet bar and bourbon tasting at Bounce House Social in Orlando. Those seem like two very different things. These all sound so highbrow, man. Yeah, so that's where UCF is right now. Uh, what did JRP do? Um, quite a lot. We can actually add in another game. Uh, this week since we recorded the podcast a couple of days late, but last last Tuesday, I think that was the second or something like that. Uh, UCF beat UNF sixteen to ten, and JRP was a big part of that. He went two for three with two home runs and three RBIs. Friday's five three win at Tulane. He went one for four. He struck out three times. Saturday they lost thirteen to two at Tulane. He went one for three with an RBI, a stolen base, and a strikeout. On Sunday they won ten to three to take the series at Tulane. He went one for four with a two-run home run and two strikeouts. Um, and this most recent game on Tuesday, they lost two nothing at Ohio State. He went zero for one, and he got hit by a pitch twice. Um, so that, <laughs> Seriously, I love he that's did. continuing. Um, so forty-seven games this season, he's slashing two eighty-eight uh, batting average, a three ninety-five on base on base percentage, and a five oh six slugging percentage. He's up to eight home runs after hitting three this past week. He has eight doubles, a triple. 26 RBIs, 33 runs scored, 15 stolen bases, and 13 hit by pitches. So so as I said earlier, I was out of town this weekend, so I did not, as I usually do, watch the UCF sporting events, and I was a little out of it. I had no idea they lost 13-2 to to Tulane and then beat them 10-3 to a day later. <laughs> Baseball <laughs> makes no sense, but it's kind of funny. It is. Um, and then the game of the week will be UCF softball. The AAC tournament is in um, Temple Terrace, which is otherwise known as a part of Tampa where USF is. Uh, that will begin on Thursday. UCF's the number two seed, and they'll play the number seven seed, Memphis, at 2 o'clock. If they win that, they'll have a semifinal on Friday at 2.30. And if they win that, the final will be Saturday at 11 a.m. They're still in a pretty good spot otherwise to get an at-large bid, but it would be nice to add another conference title in the AAC before we move on to the Big 12. But we'll see. We've fallen that throughout the next few days. Tweet of the week. You have a tweet of the week this week. Tweet of the week. This could be long. I'll try to wrap it up because I I know, I know. So this all started because um, David Ubbin, who's a writer for The Athletic, who I actually like a lot and writes good stuff. um, He wrote a story for The Athletic. And the the headline that he wrote was, Texas and Oklahoma are checking out of the Big 12, but numbers don't lie. If the league wants to be considered more like the ACC and Pac-12 than the AAC and Mountain West, it has to step up recruiting. And what blew my mind about this article was that the athletic has been doing this thing for a few weeks if you follow them you know that they they did all this math on like basically like how many stars each team recruits and how they turn into nfl draft picks all that they've been doing little stories like this analyzing this and he talked about how the big 12 far and away signs the fewest um five stars out of high school of the power five and that is absolutely true there's no lie there there's no 
uh, crunching the numbers or anything because you look at the conferences, obviously. The SEC signs the majority of the five stars. The Big Ten gets quite a, quite a lot. And then the Pac-12 has Oregon, who can get some. And the ACC has Clemson, Florida State, and Miami, who can. There's no Big 12 team that's like a five-star magnet. Even though they're often better on the field, they don't get the five stars or so whatever. Uh, what I don't understand is how UC, or not UCF, excuse me, how the Big 12 not getting as many five stars as the other Power Five conferences equates to they are the Mountain West. <laughs> and I, so someone made that point perfectly. It's Travis Roder. I don't know who he is. He replied and nailed it. He just said, it's okay to point out that the new Big 12 won't sign many five stars to use that and that variable alone as a marker that the Big 12 is closer to the Mountain West than the SEC or Big 10 is horrendous. And that's how I feel. So I need to talk a Didn't little bit about- ratio him? I ratioed him two different ways. I'm actually kind of proud of that. I quote tweeted him and ratioed him. And then I also replied and ratioed him, which I know that makes me sound like a freaking 12 year old. I'm like, I ratioed Ratio. him guys. I'm so proud of myself. But I, I I feel like people need to understand. I don't ever do this stuff. Like I was just really upset when I saw the tweet and I felt like I had to. <laughs> so I need to read. That was not tweet of the week. Actually. Tweet of the week, actually. That was just the basis for tweet of the week. So here's what we're going to get into. So I replied to David Ubbin. And his whole thing about how the Big 12 is closer to the AAC and Mountain West and the Big 12 and or than the Pac-12 and whatever. And I said, NFL track, here are the NFL draft picks this year accounting for all the realignment moves, teams in their new conferences. I saw this. <laughs> ACC had 32, Big 12 had 30, Pac-12 had 19, AAC had five, Mountain West had five. And I just said, what are we even doing here? Someone replied to me at Oki from Hell, Oklahoma fan, replied and said, the Big 12 number of 30 is one-third Oklahoma and Texas picks. That's what the writer's point is. Okay. I replied to him very kindly, and I said, you must have missed the accounting for realignment part of my tweet. Texas and Oklahoma's picks aren't recluded, aren't included. This guy replies and says, you say that, but the list I'm looking at shows and lists out all the teams with Oklahoma and Texas and goes, Oklahoma and Texas are included in all caps. I reply again. I say, again, accounting for realignment. You're also not including the four new schools. This isn't that difficult. He replies and says, all of the old schools equal 20. You say the number is 30. It is not close to 30. It is only 30 with Oklahoma and Texas. I reply again and say, there are four other new schools whose draft picks you need to include. And he replies and says, why on earth do you think that's important? I can't. I just replied and said, because that's the teams that are in the conference. And this is a stat comparing conferences. I, I don't, I don't, I actually think in like 10 years on Twitter, it's the stupidest conversation I've ever been sucked into it. Someone, I put out a stat and they say, you're wrong. I say, here's how it's a correct stat. And they reply and go, here's a fake stat. And it sucks. <laughs> I reply and explain why theirs is wrong. And they reply, well, that doesn't matter. I, I, I don't know what to do anymore, guys. But I, I think. What I think this really illustrates, though, is like how you just can't let something go because after like one reply, you're like this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know what I'm talking about, and it's not worth it. You went back and forth with him like five times. I, I you couldn't know. let you couldn't let him think that he got you. So we can pull the curtain back a little bit because I've talked with Bailey a lot. I do. It, it's funny how people like will say stuff like they think I'm like, oh, I'm like a hot take, whatever and stuff. It's like I really just can't let things go, and I have a really, really, really hard time not letting someone know when I think they're dumb or that I disagree with their opinion. And I've been doing a thing that's been helpful that when I want to reply to someone on Twitter, I type out my reply and then I just send it to the drafts. And that's been helping a lot because <laughs> it's just like, it lets me like vent and I don't, but for some reason, I just could not stop with that guy. I'm trying to get better. I am trying to get better at not replying to people who are dumb on Twitter, but it's Impressive. proving difficult. Impressive. Well, that was fun. I did. I did. I read that. Uh, I don't know if that was yesterday or a couple of days ago. And I was just like, what is going on in this conversation? I don't know. why. I, I just I felt like it was my responsibility to get this guy because I guess it was he it wasn't that he was disagreeing with me. It was that he couldn't comprehend what I was saying. And it just yeah. it, it enraged me. Uh, wow. I have issues. But anyway, <laughs> hope that guy's out there somewhere having a good day. I hope he's safe um, from I don't know. <laughs> it's tough. It's, I'm just thinking. And like, if, if you can't like grasp that, like, I don't know, just you try to explain it to him so well. I just, I hope he's doing all right. Yeah. I hope he can grasp like red light versus green light when he's driving and little basic things like that. Cause I just, the comprehensive power, it's, I just, I don't understand it. I don't know if like, I felt like I worded my tweet well. I don't know if he was just messing with me. Cause I thought of that at one point. If too, he like, was, that's hilarious then. I felt like, like if... there was a chance I was being pranked because it was like, I felt like I could not have more clearly listed out what I was saying. And then like, I'd be like, no, you see you're talking about the eight leftover teams. 
if that's a I'm prank though the four new teams that will be in the conference because this is a stat of that conference he would apply and go texas and oklahoma or who make it 30 like i don't i don't <laughs> i think it's if, if that was a prank though it's a very high level prank like it was like i don't know it just it, it got to you clearly if it was a and... prank yes it got to me this was like six days ago and i'm still just i can't it, it, it haunts me <laughs> bailey it haunts me <laughs> oh shout out to that guy um man what a time we will be back next week with episode 139. Um, in the meantime, please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we really appreciate that. And like Christian said at the top of the podcast, leave a question and within reason, we will answer it. Um, but along with leaving us a five-star review, go ahead and follow us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at ByCA Simmons, and at Night Sports Now. Thank you guys so much for being with us, and we will talk to you soon. Bye, everybody.